Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about unpacking the concept of your big idea. So we're going to talk tactically about some specific things in upcoming episodes, but first we want to kind of define some terms and give you some encouragement about the idea of a big idea. <laughs> I love that, Jonathan. You have some, I, I know, Rochelle, you, you were saying before the show that you've got some examples of this. I, we could start wherever you want. What do you, what do you think? Well, let me just say this first. So here's how I think of the big idea. And I think of it as it's like that burning center of all that you do. So it's it's got to be, you know, this short declarative sentence, really, that's viscerally compelling and that it, it sparks something deep inside you and perhaps more importantly, your audience. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's that core. So I was looking at, at some examples of those big ideas of people that, you know, that we might recognize. And um, one that I really like is by Charles Green, who runs Trusted Advisor Associates and has written a bunch of books about trust in business. And so his big idea is trustworthiness is quantifiable. I mean, nice. Yeah, and I love that because he's all about the research and understanding, breaking it down into metrics and showing people how to do it. And it's just simple. Trustworthiness is quantifiable. Right. And if you've got that sort of guiding light, it sort of drives all of the billion tactical decisions that you need to make about things we'll talk about in the future, like niching down and getting your name out and finding your sweet spot and all of that. But it gives you this sort of motivating force, sort of like why you get out of bed in the morning. Well, and the other thing I love about that word quantifiable for for him and his brand is it kind of guides him when he's creating content for people. He's got to make it understandable and and break it into pieces. It's got to be quantifiable. Absolutely. That reminds me, uh, another reason why I like to have my students really focus on I, I kind of struggle with different names for it, whether it's big idea or mission or vision or it, sort of purpose is another one that comes up. And the really the concept is I, I want the I want them to have like the string in the sugar water. So this this like catalyst that everything is going to sort of accrete to, you know, so so that as they create a body of work, well, they can create a body of work. Instead of having a whole bunch of disparate, I don't know, blog posts or a bunch of different podcast episodes or even books that are about just totally different, you know, whatever they're interested in at the moment. Instead of that, if they have this sort of string, then all everything hangs off of it. And so it all kinds of make it all kind of makes sense, and they end up with a body of work in a relatively short amount of time, all things considered. And it creates this flywheel effect that. I think propels their uh, marketing efforts later and sales too. But without that, it feels like I see people moving sort of an inch in every direction every year. We're going to, you're just like going and uh, trying to go everywhere and they end up going nowhere. So I, you know, whatever, whatever term for that, if it's a big idea, that's great. Whatever the term is, I think it's important to have that sort of guiding principle of what's important to you, how you want to maybe change the world, the the thing, your thing. Well, it's also, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I find the idea of a big idea more <laughs> approachable than mission vision. Like sometimes when you ask somebody what their mission vision is, you know, their eyes glaze over and they look off into space and it takes, they're like, because they don't really know. 
they're not sure how to say it. Um, they've played with multiple variations. But when you kind of say, what's your big idea? It's it's that, what's that change? What's that transformation um, that you want out there? I, I almost think it's a little bit easier to get to. I yeah, that's why I, I sort of play with different words around it because it can be scary and overwhelming. You know, if you're like, well, why do you get out of bed in the morning? I don't know. <laughs> to work. <laughs> you know, Seth Godin always puts it, you know, what change are you trying to make in the world? Which I think is a is a nice balance of kind of maybe not overly intimidating, but still to the point. You know, so well, and on his website, he uses I'm not sure if he would call this his big idea. Uh, he says, make things happen. And, you know, I like that because for him, that is what he's doing. That is a little bit too big of a big idea for a lot of people in the work that we do. You kind of can get to that after you've created a body of work. I would argue for somebody, you know, really at the early part of their career, they'd want to get it a little bit more specific. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't help you make decisions. Yeah. I mean, make things happen says to me that you really focus on action and outcomes, which is good. I just don't think that's enough unless you're a writer of his caliber. I mean, he's he's proven it and it works for him. Mm -hmm. You know, there's another one um, that I like a lot, and it's a it's a company called Get Storied, S-T-O-R-I-E-D, Michael Margolis's company. And I, I think this is his big idea when I look at his website is you have a big story to tell, which is kind of long for a, a big idea. And it maybe strays a little bit into marketing speak, but I love it. I mean, what's, you know, if you unpack that, it's it, what he's saying is everybody, no matter who we are, we have a big story to tell. And then of course the unspoken part is we're going to help you tell it. Right. Right. I mean, that's the unspoken part, but I think that's a powerful one too. I mean, at least for me, that kind of pulled me in. I think if it's genuine, to the person who's coming up with it, then it's going to resonate with people for whom the message resonates. So, you know, the people who need to hear that message are the people in a place like that. That one works on me. I'm sure it wouldn't work on everyone, but that's not right. the point. Exactly. Well, you know, there's another one um, that I like, and it's a, a financial advisor uh, for he's the founder of United Capital. And the way they say it on the website, they ask it as a question, which is, can I live the life I want? So I look at that and I interpret their big idea is you can live the life you want. And these are financial advisors. So they want to show you how to how to get there. So it's I mean, there's just so many different ways you can do this, which is, you know, or so many different ways you can express it, which I think is what makes it so interesting. So we could have 20 people in a similar niche, but all talking about different things. Absolutely. There's a there's a sort of legend from the software world named Larry Tesler. And his, his thing is, or his big idea, uh, is that people should not be trapped in modes, no modes. Like if you go to nomodes.com, I think that's his website to this day, years, years, years later. And his, he, he basically invented the idea of uh, the way a modern WordPress, word processor works. So Microsoft Word, you can select text and just edit it right there. You can copy it and paste it right there. Before, it used to work that you would, an interface would pop up, you would either, you know, change between edit mode and preview mode and, and, you know, you could do different things in these different modes, but you were sort of trapped in there and it was a, a lot of effort. And his, you know, his license plate was no mode. This guy was like no <laughs> modes. And 
people will credit him with coming up with you know drag and drop or or uh, uh, click to, uh, sorry click to drag uh, to select, but that's not really what he's about. He was about making software you know massively simple to use, and that was just his sort of uh, his string you know his string in the sugar like the thing that all everything else revolved around the the center of his galaxy if you will, and it's super powerful because it. It, it, at least in that example, if you go through his story, and we can link to all this stuff in the show notes as well, but the the thing that it does is it would drive him to innovate where other people were happy with the status quo. You know, he was like, every time he saw something, it would be filtered through this lens that nobody else was looking through. And he'd be like, that's not good enough. It needs to, it, you're, you've got him trapped in a mode. And it, it caused sort of creative output that wouldn't have come out of someone who wasn't looking at it like that. You know, it changed his whole perspective is what I'm trying to say in a very long, drawn-out way. Well, the word you used was lens, which I think is a really good way to think about it because it's almost like when you have your big idea, it's like you're focusing your lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, not to use us as an example, but mine is hourly billing is nuts. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. And it, it informs absolutely everything I do and write. You know, sort of a, an insight that just changed the way I saw everything, you know, in, in this world of, you know, in my world of software development and software consulting, it just changed everything. So it's funny because people ask me questions and the answer is so obvious to me because I'm seeing it from a different perspective. And then when I answer it, their mind is blown because they just can't, you know what I mean? It's like it was sitting there right in front of them the whole time, but they had this blindness to it. Exactly. I, I find the same thing with mine. It'd be unforgettable. It's, it comes back to where do you find that, you know, you uniqueness in you. And when you focus on that all day long, it's really easy to see in someone that you've just met or you're just getting to know. It's, I mean, it's what we do. I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast has that ability in their area of expertise. It's just, you got to focus the lens and you have to have enough courage to focus the lens. That's the other thing, because that can start to feel scary that somehow you're limiting yourself. But mm -hmm. that's also why I really wanted to start with big idea, because I think the big idea is energizing. It's this idea that there is some big transformation. When I say big transformation, it's not necessarily that you're going to go out and change the world like the mode guy, but it's mm -hmm. that you're going to change your corner of the world in your way, whatever that is. And so your big idea could be as big as you want to make it, right? It's. I sure. think a lot of it too is in the phrasing because I think the phrasing is important, like trustworthiness is quantifiable. That's that's. It feels long, even though that's only three words, but it's perfect phrasing. Mm -hmm. for what they do yeah sure and there's i mean it's sort of famously told you know years ago and i could think it was in when he was in his college years elon musk was like how, you know what how, how can i best use myself in the world how can the world use me the best and he came up with four ideas two of which uh one of which was space travel another one was electric vehicles and then two other ones that he decided not to do and he's like okay that's just what i'm going to do those are my motivating principles you know so you, you, but to your point about it, it doesn't have to be that grandiose. It can be for your, you know, if you want to call it tribe or your audience or whatever it is, like the, the corner of the world in which you inhabit and your connections exist and your, your circles, uh, you, I kind I kind of want to get into the, the sort of FOMO fear of 
niching and, and that kind of thing a little bit with the big idea, because I think that that it's totally fine to not come at it like Elon Musk and be like, OK, I'm going to rewrite the genome or something like that. But it's still super powerful for a, a smaller a certain anyone listening to this probably has some big idea that would be extremely powerful to 100,000 people, million people. You know, there's 7 billion people on planet Earth. That's a that's on the one hand, it's a small segment. But on the other hand, that's a huge audience. Mm -hmm. So what can you can you give people any encouragement about maybe not worrying too much about what I call pigeonholing yourself as like the no modes guy or, you know, the, the electric cars guy? Well, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. And, and on the encouraging point is that the more specific that you are, the easier it is for people to find you and connect with you. And then the more, and this goes back to your notes guy, Jonathan, the more aligned your stories, actions, and visuals are with, uh, with who you are, with this big idea the easier it is for people to trust you, especially online. So literally, it's all about, I think, it's a lot of this is about alignment, is that everything has to tell this this series of like breadcrumbs um, to telling who you are and, and about your ideas and who your ideal audience is. And nobody, nobody that I've ever heard of or met comes out of the womb knowing what this is. Nobody gets it right the first time. We just don't. I mean, I've flailed around myself. Jonathan, I'm sure you've had your moments. It's that, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's that you start and you start to think about alignment and that will get you down the path. I mean, let me just give you a, maybe an example, which is, you know, one of the questions you can ask yourself is, you know, what makes you irresistible? And before you laugh and go, oh, nothing, I'm not irresistible, you are. Everybody is in some way, you know, in some way, it's like we're catnip to our, our perfect audience. Not to everybody, not even to a big segment, but somewhere you are irresistible to an audience. And so, so you start to ask yourself, what experiences or feelings, a scary word, do clients get from you that they don't get anywhere else? And so you could, you know, you can unpack that by saying, you know, what do clients consistently rely on you for? What do they ask you for? What kind of um, problems do you solve? What are the commonalities? And it's one of those things, I think, where you can't just sit in, in blue sky and think about it. I mean, you do some of that, write it down, you know, write it down and just keep at it and keep looking at those things because the answer is in there. I I have found that mm, trying to trying to quantify percentage wise for me personally it always comes out of conversation. It just like I'll I'll, be, I'll think and think and think, and then I'll be having a conversation with someone maybe about the idea or someone who's sort of in the audience or something like that, and something will fall out of one of our mouths that will just boom. That's it. That's the perfect way to say it. And it's often that way with students where it's, you know, they, they can think all day long and just sort of get high on their own exhaust and just it, pretty quickly you get lost in the woods. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the issue I think is people have a tendency to want to present them, you know, get things perfect and polished up and present them to the world fully formed and not feel like they're sort of casting about trying, looking for help. Honestly, that's what it is, you know, mm -hmm. but 
it's so much faster and easier to just talk to people who are the kind of people or, you know, whatever it is, your past clients, uh, past employers, family members, it depends, it depends on what your big idea, what, like what, what category it's going to be in. For me, it's always like past clients and, and ideal buyers and that kind of thing. And they'll usually, they'll usually tell you what you are. So like just, this isn't big idea specifically, but a lot of people I work with, they don't know what to call themselves. They don't know what to tell people when at a cocktail party, somebody says, oh, what do you do? They're like, I don't know. I answer differently every time someone asks. I don't know how to say it or I, you know, verbal diarrhea, a paragraph. And so I would say, all right, well, the next time one of your clients introduces you to someone, pay attention to what they say and then call yourself that. It doesn't really matter what you call yourself. It matters what they call you. So, and that's more about your discipline, you know, like whether you're a software developer or a consultant or a web guru or whatever they call you. Uh, but um, I, I do think that having conversations is a really, really important piece of this. It, it uh, accelerates the process dramatically. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, when you were first talking, I, I was thinking about um, it's like we think out loud. Um, I do that too. I, you know, it, it helps, but then you have people who are, you know, really introverts and they're not necessarily thinking about having a conversation around them. So, uh, and I, I think your point, Jonathan, is don't spin your wheels, find somebody to talk to about this and, and get it out and, and start to explore it. Um, one of the, one of the things that I think is really helpful is, you know, and you could call it an inventory, although that sounds a little dry, but it's if you make a list of the different kinds of projects you've done, and if you're in corporate now and you're thinking about going out on your own, look at the work you did inside a corporation or a big consulting firm. Think of all of those as projects. And when you start writing those down and unpacking them a little bit, you know, what was it? that was so great about that project? Was it the kind of work it was? Was it the people? Was it the team? Was it where you worked or when you worked or how you worked together? Because then what you do is you start to identify what really jazzes you about that work. And that can help too. It's like another data point or series of data points. Mm -hmm. So here's a question for you about that. So I get a lot of people who sort of do that that's the that's the piece they try to do on their own they think like what what's the common denominator of all the things that i like to do and they come up with something incredibly vague so it's <laughs> it's like they say i just love efficiency or i hate inefficiency so again software developers they can't stand inefficiency they can't stand busy work they're actually very lazy people and they try to, and, and i'm one they're lazy and they try to automate themselves out of existence so they can just play Xbox. So <laughs> kidding. Anyway, the, the idea though, is that there's a, there's sort of a level of specificity that needs to be there. There's, it needs to have, um, you know, uh, like, Oh, I, I despise inefficiency for me. Somehow that's, it's too vague and it, mm -hmm. there needs to be, there's no personality to it. Right. There's something generic about it. So I, I think the big idea needs to have a it needs to have an element of insight or epiphany or uh, different point of view something that makes it uniquely yours. Is that is it, do you agree with that or do you think that's an exception? No, no, I do agree with that, and I think that part of the way to get there from that exercise, that inventory exercise, is 
is you have to really do it with with feeling and fervor. So the ideal would be you don't come out saying, oh, it's all about inefficiencies. You come out with very specific statements. And I like to rank them, you know, like one to five, like maybe one is I would never touch this again. And five might be, you know, bring me unlimited amounts of these. And so if you can take each of those projects and summarize it in a sentence or two or three, but not more than that, then you that's when you start to visually see the cues. So you're if you start looking at them, especially if it's kind of a long list, if you have, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 projects and and all the fives, meaning, yes, you know, deliver me these, you can start to see the the commonality and maybe one commonality is that it's it's about efficiency but i guarantee you it's not the only one there's something else about those projects that 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 person really liked and then just in terms of a process because i think process can be can be helpful kind of tactical is that then you start to put it all together and you start to make a statement about what you do that has you know that has an action verb um People like to use help. I love to use stronger words than help. Um, you know, build, teach, save, make, you know, something stronger. And then you start to piece that together. And the big idea is in there somewhere. And it's at the end of the day, the big idea becomes a little bit about wordsmithing, the concept that you've developed that comes out of, you know, what are people asking you for on the first hand? And what do you really love? Where are you jamming on all cylinders, doing your best work? Where, where's the intersection of all that? Plus, of course, you know, a market that's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So there's a word I want to zoom in on there. Uh, the word do. Uh, I know a lot of people get hung up on this. When, when someone asks you what you do, the answer to that is, it's super confusing for people and because there's a it's very vague, it's a very vague question and it's often answered you know if, if you, technically it's answered wrong so if somebody says oh what do you do and you say i'm a teacher well you answered with a noun and they were asking for a verb mm -hmm. you know so like but of course everyone does that oh, i'm a lawyer i'm a teacher i'm a doctor and why do they do that because it's shorthand this sort of conversation is cooperative and it's shorthand for a million little activities so most people have an idea of what you know, maybe a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer does. So it's just shorthand to say, oh, I'm one of these things. And, you know, it's kind of like saying, and you can imagine all the things that I do, you know. So this is my title. So you can imagine all the things I do. But people I work with, even software developers, which I feel like is not that uncommon these days, but maybe, you know, it's still, I guess, maybe only 18 million in the world. So that's still pretty small. They're, they, you know, they say software developer and people are like, huh? You know, so they try to answer with, oh, I do this or that. And they, what they talk about is the activities that they engage in. And I think it's more important or more powerful or more helpful, more cooperative in the conversation to instead talk about the change that you create. So this, what I do is, you know, I, whatever, I increase mobile engagement for credit unions, you know, I, the, the, but it doesn't tell you anything about my activities. It just tells you about the outcome that I try to deliver to clients. So when you're thinking about, if you're thinking about what you do, dear listener in this exercise, I think it's important to, to not get too hung up on the activities that you engage in, but more so the outcome that you're trying to create with those activities. Cause over time, the activities may very well, they almost certainly will change. 
but you can still be trying to deliver the same outcome, make the same change in the world. I don't know. Is that off topic or is it? No, sense? I think that's right on topic. And I, I like that you, you, when you said credit unions in your own statement, you know, somebody that might spark something in the person you're talking to. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of one um, that I did a while back where somebody says, I build wealth for risk takers because what they realized about their business is that they really only work with people who want to take some significant risk. They most mostly work with entrepreneurs. And these are people who are not looking to take their assets and put them in something safe and secure. They want adventure in their, in their wealth building. And so, you know, when, when he says that to an audience and somebody who's a risk taker perks up and somebody who's all about safety, you know, goes and finds, you know, another cocktail party to person to talk to. <laughs> I, right. I mean, I think that's really, really key. And, um, you know, another example uh, is I teach lawyers to sell more business. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the how my one of my clients introduces herself. And it's great because she happens to be a lawyer also. But when she's in a group of lawyers, it's very clear what she does. And she's distinguished immediately. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing, the thing that you're talking about, I call a Rolodex moment. So when 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 you are very clear about your ideal buyer, your ideal, you know, I don't like the, I don't like the term target market, but that's the term, you know, mm -hmm. it sounds so, you know, aggressive, but if you, if your ideal client, let's say, uh, if you name that and it's something that's externally verifiable or, or it's an obvious quality of that sort of person, your word of mouth like goes through the roof. It's like magic levels of word of mouth because you've given your friends and family and colleagues, the tools to a tool to filter down the gigantic list of everybody in the whole world. They know, and they sort of, they mentally flip through their Rolodex and they're like, Oh, I know some credit union executives or, Oh, I know some lawyers. Maybe they mm -hmm. want, you know, to increase their sales. And it's just this amazing, we'll probably talk about this more in the uh, niching down episode, but it's super helpful. And, and I'm curious, how much of this do you typically counsel people to incorporate into their big idea or is it separate from their big idea? Could it be a mix? Well, I, I sort of see it as a process because you start with, you know, what's the work that you're doing that you love? Um, you know, who's your ideal audience, which is part of the niching and, you know, it's coming down to that. And then I like to get some kind of a statement of the, what you do, like the, I build wealth for risk takers, because once you get clarity and agreement on that, the big idea is going to be there, right? So for example, the I build wealth for risk takers, the big idea was never follow. This was an investment company that didn't want to do things the way anybody else did, nor did they want clients who just blindly followed the herd. So the idea is buried in, the big idea is buried in those statements. And what I love about the statements is you can experiment. I mean, when I go to different events, I experiment with different ways to introduce myself based on who I think is in the audience and what they might be interested in. So mm -hmm. if it's a group of, um, I was just at a financial conference recently, um, you know, I focused on, you know, what I did very specifically in the financial industry. Um, sometimes I go to um, entertainment industry events and I, I talk more about, I can introduce myself as branding because they know what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you know, you also can think about that with your personal introductions. And it's just a great place to experiment, see what works or what doesn't. 
Yep. I have students do exactly that. They'll go to like a, a meetup or some sort of meet and greet uh, chamber of commerce thing and they'll introduce themselves differently to every single person they meet and see which one causes eyes to glaze over and which one just clicks. <laughs> exactly. But that that takes an outgoing type of personality. Well, it can be, especially if you're more introverted, it can feel sort of risky to go out there and, and do that. It's It doesn't come naturally, but um, it's, it is a good way to experiment. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, if there's, if there's, uh, geez, I mean, if there's a takeaway so far, it's like talk to people, you know, try it out, experiment, uh, get feedback from people you trust. But yeah, be looking for it because it's a, it's a critical piece of the puzzle. Well, and, you know, I, I guess I said this earlier, but just don't feel bad if it doesn't just roll off the tongue. It, this, it takes work. Um, I, I have a client who, uh, when I met him, he'd written five interconnected books, and one of them had sold over three million copies, right? He didn't know what his big idea was. We had to work it out. And, and it wasn't as simple as it sounds because it was something that he also had to commit to going forward. So it's, you know, it's, it doesn't just roll off the tongue, but if you just keep working at it a little bit at a time, you get there. And in a way, it's almost simpler if you're just starting, right? Versus if you have a, a huge body of work behind you that you're trying to make sense of going forward, you know, it's a lot easier to start, start fresh and start simple. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's a, might be a good place to leave it. What do you think? I, I think so. All right, great. Well, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. See you then.